Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're recording another show from the venue of the National Congress of American Indians. We are in Denver, Colorado. It is 2018, and we're talking with all kinds of folks throughout Indian country who are doing, I'll be honest with you, some really exciting things. Across from me as we lead off this show is someone who's doing some innovative testing as well as more conventional services. His name is Dan Angris. Dan, it's great to have you with us. Thank you. Dan, you are the program director with a group that is uh, being referred to here as T-Creek. I know the T stands for a long and complicated native name. That, Shimikin. Uh, Shimikin, right. okay. And it's a uh, Shimikin Creek. Is that actually a real creek that runs through the Spokane Nation? Yes. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so it is the Spokane tribe that owns this uh, entity. Correct. 100% owned. So tell us a little bit about... Uh, what uh, the Tea Creek R&D Testing and Wellness Services is all about. Yeah, so just to back up just a sec. So uh, Tea Creek is a one of the tribal nations in the Spokane, Washington area, and they have a number of different uh, entities. And they had a, uh, a small laboratory that was doing substance abuse and uh, uh, approached uh, a number of different groups to expand their wellness program. And we offered up a test that has been available now for the last five years called Pulse. And it is a test for uh, identifying uh, people at risk of of heart disease. And the reason Tea Creek was interested in this is because of the high prevalence of heart disease among Native American community. And the association with the Pulse test and this group was built off of an intention of reaching um, all Native American tribes throughout the U.S. And we are starting in the Northwest, uh, reaching out to quite a number of tribes and, and offering this test as a way of building awareness of heart disease and some of the things that are missed out of current technology. You know, this is really interesting, and, and you don't know this, Dan, and many of my listeners don't even know it, but right now, as we're speaking, I'm finishing up a book called The Methuselah Factor. So speaking about longevity and especially how blood fluidity is related to longevity. And so for a lot of people, I mean, these are strange terms, and the, the various blood components that are involved in blood fluidity are, are not commonly appreciated. But as I was looking at this pulse test, although you come out with a single measurement or a single predictor, if you will, you are measuring things that actually look, among other things, at, at blood fluidity. I'm, I'm looking here. One of the things you measure is something called interleukin-16, the interleukins are these uh, cytokines, these chemical messengers, these signals that are involved, for example, in inflammation. How did you guys come up with uh, such an innovative uh, process? Is this something you developed or is it developed outside no, of your So lab? this goes back almost 10 years ago. Uh, it was a, a group out of Stanford that was looking at um, inflammatory conditions, and they decided to take the 400 uh, 400 markers that might be directly or remotely associated with heart attacks and mm-hmm. basically ran 
uh, algorithm after algorithm to determine from a statistical perspective the ones most likely to be effect, uh, impacting um, heart disease. And from that list, nine of them emerged. So this was a completely objective kind of um, empirical measurement. And from that uh, analysis, those nine markers were combined with known risk factors such as age, gender, um, family history, uh, and uh, applied into an algorithm that led to this particular test. To validate the test, and I don't want to get too detailed here, mm -hmm. but just to validate the test, this was run against the what's considered to be the gold standard, which was the Framingham uh, analysis that's been running for now, I think it's on there almost the second or third generation, so it's been 30 years, which gives you a 10-year um, predictive uh uh, assessment of, of heart disease, and it's fraught with a lot of, um, of, of, of questionable uh, tests included in that, and so what we wanted to do is come up with something that was a little more specific and more absolute in terms of risk. So that's how this emerged, and so the test has been on the market actually for five years, and we're just now taking it out to the Native American community because of the high prevalence of heart disease in that, in that group. And now what's exciting to me here at this National Congress venue is just like there's people screening for what we'd say are more conventional risk factors for heart disease and chronic disease like blood sugar and blood pressure, you are actually offering this pulse test. And are you offering it free of charge in this venue? Um, we're not offering it free of charge, but it's really no cost to the patient. So what we're doing is we're just billing their insurance, and whatever the insurance pays us, we take. So there's wow. no out-of-pocket for the patient. Very nice. Yeah. So basically uh, this service, and for those of you that are, are physicians like me, you might say, well, come on, what is what are they looking at here? But I'm just looking at the list of some of the markers. Some of them are you know, well-established markers that doctors like myself have been measuring for years, like HDL and uh, hemoglobin A1C, which is a diabetes marker. But you are measuring some of these more innovative markers, like interleukin-16, uh, MCP3, which is involved uh, you know, in signaling with, uh, with white blood cells as well. So there's a number of things like that. So, so a physician or researcher would be familiar with some of these different components, but really the important message I hear that you're trying to communicate, Dan, and that your team is trying to communicate is really you can do some of the highest tech tests and you can put those results in someone's hand with a single measurement that really predicts how likely they are to have a heart event. Is that That's uh, correct. That's exactly correct. So although this is really kind of the draw, I mean, this is a pretty unique test. I mean, I haven't heard about it being offered in many places. But you also offer conventional diagnostic testing, the chemistry panels, the complete blood counts. Is that correct? Correct. So talk to someone who might be a tribal health director. Maybe right now they're working with one of these big national labs, a, a lab core or a quest, and they're saying, well, I mean, it's nice to know there are some tribally owned diagnostic centers, but why would someone want to dialogue with you? Right. So um, for several reasons. So first of all, we look at the the mechanics of running a laboratory business as well as what is good for the the patient so we also we understand there's there's a a, a payer system there are uh, patients who have insurance that is that covers some tests and, and 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 some procedures and so what we try and do and again our, our sole goal here with T Creek is to make these tests affordable and available so 
working backwards from that, what we try and do is offer a litany of other tests that are more, most likely to come out of a, of a wellness visit, if you will, at a physician's office and so that they don't have to split samples and send one just this test over to us and then send other tests to mm. another laboratory. So that's the reason that we offer some of the more routine tests. But our objective is to, again, focus on the areas that are most impacting and are most profound in the Native American community. Mm -hmm. And as I said earlier, we want to make this more of a, a grassroots kind of approach where we are literally on the reservations drawing tribal council members, making them aware of their own scores, and then going to the clinics on the reservations and offering up the, those tests with all of the logistics already taken care of, how they're going to draw the sample, how they're going to bill. Um, we have a, a contract with IHS to get reimbursed for the test. So we want to be able to take care of those questions in front of being going out and, and spreading the awareness of it. So if I understand correctly, really your flagship product is this pulse test, and you're really wanting to get more information in the hands of people in Indian country just saying, you know, here's your risk of heart disease. You've got to get serious about this, even though you might be taking medicine for your cholesterol and your, your blood pressure or your diabetes, you've still got big issues. Correct. So, so one of the central questions that we get from physicians is, great, this test uh, appears to be doing more, but what do I do with these patients? And to the patients, we, we really provide the, the exact same answer because uh, as a patient, with when you get a high-risk score, your question is likely to be, okay, well, what do I do with this information? This is scary. So the whole objective of the of getting the, the pulse score is to be able to make changes in lifestyle that will help reverse the score. Mm -hmm. So what we do is um, we provide uh, sort of a two-pronged approach. For, so for the physician who is managing the patient, we provide a lot of frequently asked questions around the test, and we provide um, guidance that is very similar to the AHA guidelines that are currently used. But we want to make it simple so that it is not a complicated process, uh, spending a whole lot of time with the patient to, to try and, and make those changes. So some of the obvious changes are what we all know, and it is the same with having a high cholesterol level. You, you, know, you want to reduce your carbohydrate intake to, to reduce the, the sugar load, which are inflammatory create some of the inflammatory processes. Mm -hmm. um, you want to uh, lower your BMI or your weight um, and exercise, stop smoking, sort of the basics that everybody knows about but may not know how much it's impacting them. Mm -hmm. And then we get patients, of course, who are doing all of that already and have high scores. And for some of those people, depending on, on the score, we, we may recommend that they uh, get further tested. And we've mm -hmm. had a quite a number of patients, some of them celebrities, as a matter of fact, because uh, one of the labs that we have is down in, in California, where these people were, whose lives were saved because, because of the test. Tremendous. And in those cases, we'll refer them to a cardiologist who will do more traditional uh, uh, reference lab workups where they do an EKG, mm -hmm. and they will find an occlusion that was not there on their normal lipid test. So well, those are examples of the process of how you treat them. Well, you know, I mentioned this book that I've got coming out, The Methuselah Factor. We need to compare notes because I think the things that we're talking about in that book, it's a natural approach to improving blood fluidity and improving health using basically some of the same research right. it sounds like you guys have been looking at. And uh, I'm telling you, first time I've ever heard of you guys, yeah. first time I've ever heard of this test. 
But I think uh, there's some interesting synergisms. Maybe one day we can see if we can partner together and explore whether some of the approaches that we're using that have been, you know, looking at fibrinogen and interleukins and some of these different markers would just transport over to this whole pulse uh, uh, kind of quantitative score. Right. So with that said, uh, in the diagnostic industry, it takes a while for new tests to come on the market and to be readily accepted. Um, and again, one of the reasons that we're out in the Native American community is because this is often a group of patients who uh, are in rural areas who, where the physicians aren't exposed to new technology. They're mm-hmm. just running panels that are there from, from some of the larger laboratories, and they don't necessarily have the time to travel to symposiums. So we're, we're going out there and sharing all of this information. As far as the availability of the test nationwide, uh, this test is available actually through uh, a number of different um, heart disease laboratories okay. like Cleveland Heart Lab, which is now owned by Quest. So it's not as if it's coming out of out of nowhere. It's like I said, it's been around for five years, but it's just now gain, gaining the awareness in the in the national market uh, that uh, that ultimately we expect it to be everywhere. So. Very, very interesting yeah. stuff. So I appreciate the messaging that you're giving. You're basically saying, you know, a lot of times. We talk about these conventional risk factors. We talk about lifestyle, and a person may have this sense they're doing okay. Nothing's hurting them. But this is just kind of another opportunity to see where you stand, to see maybe is it time for a wake-up call, right? Correct. Right. And those things that you think aren't hurting you, when you actually look at a, at a marker like Pulse, maybe saying, hey, right. you better look uh, real closely at what you're doing. So I'll use myself as an example. So mm-hmm. I'm uh, 60 years old, and I had the, the t- and I, I swim, I keep my weight down, and I uh, you know work out regularly. Uh, I don't smoke, um, and I had the test done, and I was I was not high risk, but I was on the border. And the the there were two uh, particular markers that stood out on my score. One of them was the IL-16, which is uh, associated with stress. Mm -hmm. And the other one was my hemoglobin A1C marker, which was on the borderline high area. So what I did was very simply just cut out carbohydrates. And from that, my test score was lowered tremendously. And now it's at the normal level. Wow. Tremendous story. Appreciate that personal insight. We've got to step away. We've been talking with Dan Angris, he's the program director for Tea Creek R&D Diagnostics. Before we have to go, Dan, if someone wants to contact you, how do they do it? Yeah, the easiest thing is to email us at, and we have a, a client services person who handles this, is Judy at SpokaneEnterprises.com. Give us that one more time. Judy at SpokaneEnterprises.com. Spokane Enterprises, all one word. Okay, it's time for us to step away. We'll be back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Don't go away. We've got more to come in today's edition of American Indian Living. We'll be right back after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. 
So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. With me right now is Judy Flett. Judy is a uh, Spokane tribal member, and she's working with Tea Creek Research and Diagnostics. You've got an amazing story, and we've just met, but... I know a lot of our listeners would be interested to hear about your background because you're pretty not only deeply rooted in the Spokane tribe, but you have a real solid background in tribal health. Tell us about that. Um, Well, I grew up on the Spokane Indian Reservation, and I'm a tribal member, and um, I struggled to get my degree. Hmm. Uh, It took me 15 years to get my bachelor's degree because I had to work and be a mother, Uh single mother, so I went to night school. But anyway, I got my degree. And then I eventually got hired as the Health and Human Services uh, Assistant Director for our tribe. Mm -hmm. And then I was promoted to Director. So as Director of the Health and Human Services uh, Department for the tribe, I uh, negotiated and developed uh, the TANF program, Mm -hmm. which is Temporary Assistance to Needy Families. And that took 11 months to negotiate with the state and uh, accomplish. Uh, We had to... uh, and then once we got that, uh, got the contract signed for that, they gave us 30 days to transfer 360 cases from the state to our program. Wow. So, yeah, it was, it was chaos for uh-huh. a while. But we managed to get it done. Um, then I moved on to, uh, I went to work for, after the, being TANF director for five or six years, I moved on and worked for Kaufman and Associates. Okay. And that's an uh, Indian-owned consulting firm out of Spokane. Joanne Kaufman is the owner, and she's an S-Purse tribal member. And so I worked there for six years, and uh, they just do different contracts to go out into Indian communities and, and help with different 
health issues. I was assigned to what's called Native Aspirations. Hmm. So what I did was I went into communities and uh, I would help them develop a suicide prevention plan. Wow. So I traveled a lot through Alaska, and that I have a lot of stories about that uh-huh. because I would jump on a four-seater plane with my suitcase. Okay. They'd, jump, they'd drop me off out in the middle of the tundra and say, here you go. And so, uh, you know, I had to sleep wherever. I brought my own food. Wow. Uh, I slept on floors in my sleeping bag. Um, so I went to a lot of different communities up there. That's an amazing story, and I can relate a little bit to it. Now, you're going to laugh when I tell you what I'm comparing it to, but... About three years ago, I was in Nome because we, one of the stations that airs American Indian Living is, is in Nome, Alaska. And they invited me to come up and do some meetings. We recorded some programming up there. And it was in the middle of winter, mm-hmm. flying out of Anchorage. And it was not a small plane. It was a, it was a bigger plane. But as we're flying out there, I mean, you, you're like seeing nothing. It's just like you're in the middle of nowhere. And right. the plane starts going down. And I feel like they're dropping me in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Um, you know, eventually I did see that there was a little uh, landing strip and a, a little terminal there, uh-huh. but it was kind of an eerie feeling, and I can't imagine what it was like really to be dropped in the middle of nowhere. But that was the kind of work you did for a number of years. Yes, I did. It was diff- I couldn't do it now. <laughs> it, I like I said, I have so many stories. Uh-huh. I mean, one time the plane got stuck on the runway. We had to l- unload everything. There was wow. some firefighters on there. It was like a six-seater. Uh-huh. We had to unload everything, push the plane to get it out of the snow, and we finally made it out of there. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So some real adventures. So you're a person, I, I've already gathered, who isn't afraid to take on challenges. Yeah. I. You know, it was. It, I was doing good for the villages, and mm-hmm. the people there were fantastic. Mm-hmm. But I grew up on my res, and it was like going back... 50 years going mm-hmm. into those villages. Mm-hmm. It was a culture shock for me, and I grew up on my own res. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a challenge, but I was there to help the people. Now, more recent history has you involved with an entity that we've been talking about in this show. We've been talking about Tea Creek, and tell us again the correct native pronunciation for the tea in Tea Creek. Okay, it's Shimikin Creek Lab. Uh-huh. Uh, research and Diagnostics. Okay. Shimikin, am I close? That's correct. Okay. So Shimikin with a T. And uh, for folks like me who are afraid they won't be able to remember Shimikin, you call it Tea Creek. Correct. Were you involved early on in the process of uh, the tribe starting Tea Creek? No. Tea Creek's been an enterprise for the tribe for over 15 years mm-hmm. doing... Uh, pre-employment drug screening and water analysis. So how did you get involved in in this stage of things? As operations manager, they wanted to develop the uh, Tea Creek Lab because it is a small business, disadvantaged business, 8A certified. Mm -hmm. So they said, we need to develop this lab and get more business going. So um, I just happened to meet Dr. Doug Harrington. Mm Mm-hmm. We got to talking, and he told me about the pulse cardiac test. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how can I get this out there in Indian country? Because in Indian country, we don't get the latest technology. Right. So I was all excited, and he, uh-huh. he was the same. He says, Judy, I'll help you all I can. So that's how it started. Interesting, interesting. So how long ago was it that you guys brought pulse to Tea Creek? 
Uh, we've been working on this for about two years now. Okay. Just in the last six months, we started going out to the public. We've been concentrating on the Northwest because that's where we're from. Mm-hmm. Um, so this NCAA conference is probably our biggest conference we've been to. Now, a lot of folks have heard us speaking about Pulse, and it's difficult on radio to appreciate that we're not talking about Pulse, P-U-L-S-E, like, you know, checking your heart rate. Correct. But this is spelled P-U-L-S, and it stands for Protein Unstable... Lesion. Lesion. Signature. Signature. Okay. So I'm, I'm even trying to get it down. Protein Unstable Lesion Signature. And uh, as we spoke with Dan Angres, this is really a host of tests, blood tests, that give you this single pulse measurement. Correct. That is a predictor of your likelihood of having a heart event in the relatively near future, correct? Correct. So from the standpoint of a tribal member and a, a, a tribal health director, someone who's been throughout Indian country, how do you see the potential for this test making a difference in tribal communities? I think this is going to be life-changing because I took the test, and when I got my results, it was like a, a, an awakening. Mm. You know, it's like Dr. Doug Harrington refers to it as your check engine light's on. Okay. You need to do something about okay. this. Uh-huh. So when you see it right in front of you, it's really personal. Uh-huh. So it's like, okay, and he tells you exactly what you need to do to change your lifestyle and modify your lifestyle to make changes in your health so uh, heart disease won't be a part of your future. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So heart disease is the number one killer of Native Americans. And so, like I said, when we give the test and um, then we do a follow-up phone consultation, mm-hmm. that is makes a, a world of difference. I'll tell you, uh, one lady with the Colville tribe, she was so appreciative of that because that's she's the one that told me. She says, you know, you go to the local clinic, you have high cholesterol. She says they just give you a pill. They don't tell you anything mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. She says with this and the phone consultation, they care about us. It's personal. And they tell us, you know, what we need to do to reduce our cholesterol or, you know, to prevent heart uh-huh. disease. So um, it's like somebody really cares. So what I hear you saying is this is not just a lab test. When someone, if I'm working with a tribal clinic, and I'm thinking of some tribal entities that I work with, so I interface with different tribal groups, tribal clinics. If we're talking and I say, you know, if you use this pulse test, they're not only going to check the people that sign up for the test or whose providers order the test and they, you know, have the blood drawn. Mm Mm-hmm. But your group is going to call every single person that has the test? Am I hearing that right or am I missing something? Okay. We we make it a point to call everybody that has an elevated score. Okay. And okay. Um, I know this is going to change uh-huh. as we grow. But okay. right now, the, the patients that are elevated, we do our best to have them talk directly to Dr. Doug Harrington. Do you really? Yes. I mean, he's actually talking with a number yes. of these patients? That's well, how much incredible. he cares. That is incredible. And where is Dr. Harrington, actually? He lives in Irvine, California, and that's where his lab is. Okay. So is he one of the people that developed the, the Pulse test? He was the lead of a group of doctors that developed this test. Uh, I, they took him, like, 15 years of research. Uh-huh. Yeah, so this is brand new, and, and the 
uh, lab in California right now is the only lab in the world that can run this test. Okay. And you said he's affiliated with UC Irvine? Or he's just in the Irvine area? He's just in the Irvine area. Oh, okay. So this is, uh, this is extremely interesting. And I know a lot of folks, they're resonating with your story because they have a heart for their people. They're seeing the ravages of heart disease. And they're saying, you know, if this can make a difference, if this can motivate my auntie, my uncle, uh, my grandchild, mm-hmm. right, to get more serious about their lifestyle, this is going to be worth it. One more time, how do we get a hold of you or someone like you if someone wants more information about these services? Oh, you can contact me directly. How do we do that? Um, You just call call my number or my email address. Okay, and so the office number I've got here is 509-458-6590. That's correct. Okay, so if you're writing that down, 509-458-6590. And I guess the um, email that Dan gave in the previous segment, that's your email, Judy at... SpokoEnterprises.com. Okay, Spoko, S-P-O-K-O, Enterprises.com. Correct. Okay, Judy, J-U-D-Y. Yes. Judy, thank you so much. Our time is out in this segment. For those of you tuning in, we've got more coming up in today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Don't go away. More from NCAI in Denver right after this. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's one 800 775 4673. So, you want to be a hero? Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke, sudden weakness on one side, or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. 
Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're continuing a show from the venue of the National Congress of American Indians. We are in Denver, Colorado. It is 2018. And we're dealing with some really exciting topics. If you've been with us from the beginning of the hour, we've been speaking about some innovative ways to evaluate heart disease risk in Indian country. And now we're shifting gears to speak about another very important topic that relates to cultural health in particular. I've got an anthropologist with me, Dr. Emerson Bullchief. Emerson, it's great to have you with us. Yeah, good to be here. Uh, it's a privilege for me to have a native anthropologist. You're doing some great work. I just am getting acquainted with you, so I'll be learning as well as my listeners. My understanding is you actually run a, a group called Seven Bison Cultural Consulting. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Tell us just a, a little bit about uh, that organization. Um, the organization is uh, it, it is a business. Uh, we do cultural resource management, and so we do a lot of the uh, – cultural surveys that should happen during the compliance part of a project. And so uh, currently um, we have other projects that also include uh, building bridges between companies and tribes. And mm -hmm. so we're, we're just in a mix, in a mix of all of any, any project that, that uh, is being developed. Now your roots are with the, the Crow tribe, correct? Yes. And so where are you based right now? Where's home for you? Um, our, our, our office uh, address is, is at my home, which is on the Crow Reservation. Okay. Uh, we, we are in the process of getting our hub zone status because we do work on the Crow or on an Indian Reservation. So uh -huh. um, we're in the process of doing that and hopefully an 8A here by the end of the year. So Okay. Yeah. So give us a little bit of idea you know cuz a lot of folks even if they have deep roots in indian country they haven't met someone who's actually got a doctorate in anthropology and is native i i mean i know of one other that i've had some connection with i don't think there are probably all that many of you or is it just that i'm not well connected in that field it just really depends on on a crow we have um 13 PhDs. Do you really? Yes. In anthropology? No, no, not in anthropology. Oh, okay, I, okay. Um, we have one historian, uh -huh. and then me in anthropology. There's several sciences, and then a lot of them have the education doctorate. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there's there's 13 PhDs there, but not all anthropology. Yeah, yeah. That, to me, is fairly unique, at least in my experience. Yeah, yes. So how did you uh, get on that career trajectory? Well, um, I used to work for a nonprofit called Native American Fish and Wildlife Society because my undergrad was in biology. Mm -hmm. But uh, over that time, the grant that we we're operating under was coming to an end, and so mm. I decided to explore going on to a, getting a gra graduate degree. And originally, I wanted to uh, do a uh, uh, master's in, in biology because mm -hmm. I had some money to do a black bear study. And things, the creator has his own way of doing things. He does, and, doesn't and he? So, and so I, I ended up not doing that. And I ended up in the master's program with uh, at Montana State under the Native American Studies Department. Mm -hmm. And got a master's in that program. But my 
thesis work was based on uh, based on some literature. Uh, the first book that I read was called Native Science, written by Dr. Dr. Gregory Kayate that basically explores how Native people view science and how they practice. Hmm. And so, looking at all, looking at all the literature, I came up with four four uh, foundations that kind of go across the literature, which is um, environment, uh, community, language, and spirituality. And so, I <clears throat> I um, I wanted to do more, but because I, I wanted to incorporate oral tradition into that, my from the standpoint of of the Crow oral tradition. And so, mm-hmm. when I I decided I'm just going to continue on with a PhD in American studies and and do that. Look at Crow oral tradition and apply it to these four foundations and. It became a larger project, and it kind of went outside of the bounds of that, you know, the original mm-hmm. idea. And basically what I ended up writing was looking at oral tradition across the landscape from when we were all Siouan language family speakers and moving westward along along the northern tier of, of the uh, lower 48. So Interesting. So yeah. th- these four pillars, environment, community, language, and spirituality, they're the pillars of... Of, of culture, of, of native culture, or are they? It's, it is uh, the pillars of native science. And so. Oh, native science. Yes, uh-huh. how, or how indigenous people, it's not just Native Americans, it's all indigenous people across the world, how they look at the world. And it's earth based, so everything comes from the environment. Cultures are developed on the environment. Mm-hmm. But these four pillar, pillars are basically how native people practice what we would call in the Western world science, but it's mm-hmm. their own version of it. So we can't mm. fit the two together. It's a whole different paradigm. So basically, you have a background deeply rooted in Indian country. You're raised there on the Crow Reservation. You have an interest in biology, interest in, in natural things and fish and game. And, and uh, you end up taking this course into anthropology. And now you're running Seven Bison Cultural Consulting, and you're interfacing with people across the spectrum. Uh, Let's just kind of paint a picture. Let's say 50 miles from the Crow Reservation, not on tribal lands, there's a, a construction project. And somehow there's some connection with the federal government. Maybe you can explain maybe how some of those connections might occur so that they're having to make sure that they are being culturally appropriate in dealing with any kind of native, uh, uh, things of native cultural significance. Walk us through that. Right. So the National Historic Preservation Act, uh, Section 106, is called the consultation part of it. And there's three federal nexuses that any of these can trigger a 106 consultation. So if you're either on the federal property, federal land, Mm -hmm. or if there's a federal permit that has to be issued, or if there was federal dollars, um, federal dollars being spent on a project, any three of those will will, uh, start the 106 consultation process. And with that, the federal agency who's who has the oversight of that project would be called the lead federal agency would then reach out to the tribes who claim ancestral 
homeland or territory on that property. Mm-hmm. And there might be 20 tribes. There's some projects where I see there's 40 tribes that have claims on, on the territory. But the federal agency would be doing consultation on the project to each tribe. Okay, so let's let's take a scenario just like that. So maybe it's a it's a developer. Maybe he's building low income housing. Maybe HUD is somehow involved, and and so there scenario like that. There's 40 tribes that are all saying, you know, this is our ancestral homeland. You've got a consulting firm. Why should they be thinking? Why should that developer? be thinking about saying, hey, I need to get on the phone, call Dr. Emerson Bull Chief or, or someone, you know, with your organization. Why not just work with one of the big entities that are national? Right. So I used to be the tribal historic preservation officer for, for the Crow tribe. And one of my biggest complaints about consultation when it when it did occur with a federal agency was that one of the bigger firms uh, mm-hmm. non-Indian owned would have already completed a cultural survey and from that point it's you you've already gotten past the uh, the survey part so what you're getting faced with is a, a report that was done by non non-native people uh-huh. who haven't looked at the tribal historic properties the cultural re- uh, tribal cultural properties is what we call them in the industry TCPs Mm-hmm. And so our biggest complaint was then we would require that company to do a TCP survey where they would have our tribal monitors go out and actually walk this whole area looking for TCPs. Mm-hmm. And so when I got into the development of the business, one of my arguments is why not kill two birds with one stone? Mm-hmm. You'll have to cultural pro- uh, the survey, traditional survey, mm-hmm. along with all Indian employees doing the TCP survey. So we would have one shot, just get it done. And Mm -hmm. then there won't be these complaints that you get in meetings when you're in consultation meetings with tribes. There'll there'll be the local tribes that we would hire to do the work and train them to Uh to be para-archaeologists so you can go walk the fields and, Uh and, uh, and they'll be local. And so it eliminates so much issues that, that we face in the consultation process. Well, I mean, this if I'm understanding this right, and this is a new area for me, this is not something that I've had to professionally deal with uh-huh. or even informally deal with. So if I'm hearing the process right, many times the way it's conducted, a company without any kind of indigenous representation will do this um, uh, initial assessment and then they'll come to the cr- tribes and say, hey, you know, we've done all this. There's no, uh, you know, cultural properties there. And, you know, we just want to proceed. Mm-hmm. And then you say, as the historic preservation officer, you can say, well, wait, wait a minute. You know, we, we haven't been there. What? Are, how did you determine that? Am I kind of yes, understanding ex- how exactly. the dialogue works? It's, ex- it's exactly how it works. Okay. And, and so having an Indian-owned company at the beginning of the project doing all the cultural resource uh, management stuff, that eliminates so much issues and i don't i you know i'm i'm really pushing this with the uh, federal agencies with private companies as they're looking at and doing projects here we are you know we're ready to work for you and, uh-huh. and uh, so that's kind of part of what, what what we did to develop this business so basically a developer or any kind of uh, federal agency that might be going through this process they're going to say 
hey, if we partner with the tribal entities themselves, if we work with, for example, Seven Bison Cultural Consulting, basically you're doing a lot of that legwork mm-hmm. that they normally would have to do, and basically it's already done. You say, well, you know, we had one of our tribal members there. He was the person that right. you hired to do it, right? Right. Or Yeah, so, like, let's say we do a project that's in North Dakota. We'll see who's, like, the local tribes, mm-hmm. and we'll hire them to, to do the survey. Okay. And so they'll be out on the ground. And and then when they get the uh, report, there would already be the uh, cultural input into mm-hmm. it. So for me, if I were a developer, um, if I'm running some kind of agency and having some kind of project going on in uh, land where there was culturally sensitive uh, artifacts or other things, basically I'm going to save significant time and money, likely, if I work with an organization yes. like yours. Yes, and not only that, you know, not only will you have, will you save time and heartache mm-hmm. uh, doing a consultation, we would facilitate it. And wow. many, I've, over the four years I was Tribal Historic Preservation Officer on Crow, I created a pretty large network of tipples throughout the nation. Excellent. We have to step away for just uh, just a couple minutes. Are you able to stay by for our final segment? Sure. Okay, we are going to be back with more. Emerson Bull Chief, uh, some other exciting uh, anthropologic insights we've got in our final segment that you don't want to miss, as well as the ambiance of National Congress, if you hear the native drummers in the background. We'll be back with more right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand, and someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. 
Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose and with Dr. Emerson Bullchief for our final segment here at the National Congress of American Indians on today's edition of American Indian Living. I've been enjoying our conversation, Emerson, both on and off air. And off air, we were speaking a little bit about a number of topics that we want to tie in in this final segment. Before we do, though, folks have been getting excited just about the whole concept. They're saying, boy, if, uh, if I'm dealing, you know, with a project that's going to involve, uh, you know, the federal government that's going to activate this, uh, you know, 106 consultation process, I definitely need to think of something like Seven Bison Cultural Consulting. Tell us how people can get more information about your organization or contact you or your team. Okay, yeah, so you can find all our information on, on our website, www.7bison.com, or you can email me at emerson.bullchief at 7bisoncultural.com, and you can call or text 406-208-6670. Okay, now I know that went by quickly. Just as a reminder to our listeners, uh, American Indian Living is heard on some 170 stations. If you call the station that you're hearing this on, they're usually part of one of uh, the networks that carry the show, and each network gets programming information. So they have details like Emerson just communicated. But for those of you who may be traveling, you're driving right now over the northern plains, you're listening to the show let me just give that material for you one more time. The website's really easy, right? Seven, the number seven, numeral seven, bison.com. That's easy. Yes. And then your email isn't much more difficult if you can remember Emerson Bullchief. So it's just emerson.bullchief at, now it's not sevenbison.com, but it's sevenbisoncultural.com. So that gets a little more confusing. Huh? It is. It does a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So the company is 7bison.com, the number 7, bison. And then your email is at 7bisoncultural.com. And then for those of you who are in areas where you don't have reliable Internet, the phone number, if you're jotting it down, area code 406 and because people can text to that, is it safe to say that that's even your personal cell number? It, it is my business cell number. Okay, you're yeah. bit, well, that's gracious of you to give that out. And uh, I appreciate you making yourself available. So 406-208-6670. Well, Emerson, we've been speaking a lot about the cultural consulting work. I know you have a special passion that extends beyond the work that you do. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, my my passion is being able to preserve our history through oral tradition. Um, I I want the younger generation, uh, the next generation, to be able to know who they are, mm-hmm. to have their identity, and to me, the best 
place of knowledge is through this oral tradition. Mm. I know that it's been something that, unfortunately, academia doesn't consider oral tradition as a resource to mm. cite in a in a academic work. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and so I want to be able to not to be outside academia to be a you know have these stories not for me not for my personal gain but to pass on to the next uh-huh, generation uh-huh. and so i'm working towards that so you know in indian country this is a, a sensitive topic you know we talk about oral history and there are some people that feel to write oral history devalues it mm-hmm. others say well we're doing digital storytelling or we're recording audio how do you see that as an anthropologist that whole discussion well i i actually when i when i was uh applying for my phd to go on i i went to the cultural committee who at on a crow reservation who's comprised of tobacco society practitioners and Hmm. i i basically told them my plan on what i was gonna do and and that I will be writing these stories down. I'll be recording them. Uh, and they approve me. Mm-hmm. Uh, they feel like it is an important job to preserve. Uh-huh. So, Excellent. So, Excellent. Uh, that's, I went through my elders and my... Uh-huh. Right, right. Yeah, so. Very good. Well, that's exciting. So you have this passion. And I would say, you know, as a physician, we've talked about this actually some in some of the other shows we've recorded here at the National Congress. And that is... One of the aspects of of healing and wholeness is healing communities. Mm -hmm. So in the Western medical model, it tends to be very individual-focused, and often we miss some of these very important determinants of health. But as we connect people with their culture, as we give them a sense of self-worth, that they're a value, they're part of a, a bigger picture, this has significant health implications. So... Although you may be coming from the discipline of anthropology and me from medicine, I can really see the the parallels there. Right. So I I've actually done a lot of thought and reading and and researching into just out of my own uh, curiosity about some of the social issues that are on reservations, uh, particularly mm-hmm. mine. You know, with the addictions and. And uh, I'm not saying everyone's addicted no, and everyone's not, not uh-huh. alcoholics, but you see that historical trauma played a big role. Mm-hmm. And with that years and years of getting this dehumanizing language coming from different people, it's hard to break free of that, to understand yourself that I'm suffering from historical trauma. I'm suffering from this epigenetics it's hard for people to understand. I finally came to that realization when, at one point in my life, and I broke free of it, and I'm no longer in a dehumanized state. Hmm. And so, like, to be able to pass that knowledge on of why are you hurting, this is why. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to be there because you can have pride in who you are as, we say cruel, but our, in our traditional language, we say absaloge. I, you'd be proud to be Absaloge. I, I want to tell that to so many of my uh, of the people back home who are hurting. And I know, you know, they're out there. I see mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And I, if they can hear me, be proud of being Absaloge. Mm-hmm. You told me a beautiful story that I think kind of 
brings this all together, brings your consulting work, your work as a historic preservation officer with the Crow tribe, because whether an organization is native or not, if they start regarding cultural values, it not only helps the tribe, it helps them. It helps us work together regardless of what our backgrounds are. You told me this story about um, the uh, Cloud Peak Energy Corporation. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Sure, yeah. So I know there's uh, the Crow the Crow Tribe is, is a developer of their resources. Um, there's an existing coal mine there, and Cloud Peak Energy put a proposal to the Crow Tribe of, of opening a second mine and mm -hmm. to develop that mine. Mining industry for us, I know that it's frowned upon to develop resources, but for the Crow Nation, it's a lifeline. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The money that's generated off of that resource uh, helps with the operating expenses of the Crow Nation and also provides jobs and everything that sure. needs. So for us, it, it was something that, okay, yeah, we need this, but from the cultural resource standpoint, we were, from from anthropology standpoint, I was like, oh, this is bad. <laughs> so we worked with Cloud Peak Energy. Um, they came in, and at the time, I was the tribal historic preservation officer. And so we developed this plan that we would do all the cultural resource survey. Mm -hmm. And they agreed. They contracted us. And we went out and did this block survey of the area that they want to mine. And we found... Yes, we did find a lot of archaeological sites out there. And when we did it, we did it under the stand, under the standpoint that we're doing a traditional survey for, mm -hmm. for a CRM report. But we also included the tribal cultural properties survey portion of it. And all of our employees were all crows. And we were all out there um, uh, on a, out in the field doing a survey and working with the report at the end. So... Um, it, it it ended up being where things were hand in hand. Cloud Peak came to our cultural committee. They sat down mm, with them. Mm -hmm. They said, "Which of these are most important to you? What do you want to preserve?" And there there was a lot of give and take. Uh -huh. It was a negotiation, uh -huh. and I think it was the best outcome at the end wow. between industry and the tribes. Nice. And at the end of the day, everyone can feel like they were partners instead of enemies, right? Absolutely. Wonderful. I so appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate your background. It's been a privilege for me to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. I enjoyed the time. Thank you. So one more time, if you enjoyed our discussion with Dr. Emerson Bullchief, you can get a hold of his organization simply by going on the web to the number 7bison.com. Well, that's all for today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We've got to step away, but hopefully today's show has, again, helped you to be in the very best of health. I'm Dr. DeRose. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.